Welcome to Knights of the Cyber Table. We are here to break down the latest cybersecurity topics and rescue you from any ransomware, hacker, or breach that may lie ahead. So put on your armor and pull up a chair. Welcome back to another episode of Knights of the Cyber Table, where we eat, sleep, and breed cybersecurity. I'm your host, Nina, and this week, Stan Tart is back with us to talk about the importance of a cybersecurity program and how you can justify investing in one with a risk assessment. Stan, it's great to have you back. Well, thank you, Nina. You know, I just want to let your audience know before we start that I personally don't sleep at the cyber table. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my personal preference is actually for my bed, but um, I'll go along with you this time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that. I might, I think I'm the one that sleeps here because with all the, the podcasts and the editing, I'm the one that's definitely at the oh, absolutely. all the time. <laughs> yeah, sometimes but, we feel like we're sleeping at the cyber table, but usually that means we need to go to bed. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. So it's great to have you back. We always have a great conversation. Um, You know, this week we're talking about the importance of a cybersecurity program and then how to justify to invest in one with a risk assessment. So if our listeners don't know by now, a risk assessment is the initial step into building a security program, right, Stan? Yes, it, it really forms the foundation uh, for that security program. And I think you may have heard on my last podcast, maybe you haven't listened to it, so Go check it out. Here, but um, <laughs> We really look at two pillars for building that InfoSec program, and the risk assessment is is probably the most important uh, of those two pillars. The other one is data classification, which is also important. But Definitely. in risk assessment, if we do a good risk assessment, then what we should be getting out of that are three elements. And the first is, you know, what am I supposed to be doing here, right? What do I need to take care of? And secondly, uh, We'd like to know what order I should be doing things in. Should I do that first, this first, whatever? And then um, there's an element I would say that uh, is, uh, it isn't necessarily served so much out of the risk assessment as it is out of the risk treatment plan that we apply after we're done with the assessment. But really that element is uh, how much should I do in order to say that I've actually remediated this risk? So I do want to caution uh, caution our listeners that risk assessment works great to carry out those three things, but it only works if you pick a security framework that's broad enough. So what do I mean by a security framework? These are usually um, industry standards. Examples are NIST 800-53 or NIST 800-171. Some people might use uh, ISO 27001. We can go on in the acronym mm-hmm. suit, but I'll stop there. Point is, pick one and make sure that that risk assessment framework is broad enough to represent all of the risks in your business. We have a lot of clients in higher ed, and I find that 
there's a tendency in higher ed to say, oh, we have to do a NIST 800-171 risk assessment. Mm. And you have to understand where each framework came from. And I'm, you know, I'm on a bit of a tangent here, but I just want to make this one point for you, okay? With 800-171, that framework is the government's framework for um, essentially it started out with military subcontractors, right? Those that take government data that has what they call a controlled unclassified information element to it. And 800-171 was a response from the government that was largely because they used to make these subcontractors look at 800-53. And when they turned it into a mandate, they mandated 171 which is a slimmed down set of controls out of 800-53. So why did they do that? Because many, um, many, I, I'm going to say less mature organizations were overwhelmed by the size of 800-53. And they said, can we have something smaller? We can't handle it, right? Okay. So government came back. They gave me 800-171 as a control framework. Please control your information this way. But that framework very clearly covers confidentiality and integrity of the data. Unfortunately, though, it leaves out a lot of the emphasis on availability. Now, if I'm an organization, I do care that my information systems and data remain available to me. If I had risks in that, and I use 800-171 as my risk assessment framework, I'm going to miss the fact that I might have risks around availability. So what's the point of all that long tangent? The point is <laughs> choose a security framework that fits your business. And then when you do your risk assessment, use that as a guide to guide you through the steps of finding those gaps. Make sense? That, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing too, is that we recommend starting with the risk assessment because it's a good guide into building a successful cybersecurity program and to remember that like it's a guide for a reason but it's also only a guide you know so take yeah. it with what you can so can you go into a little bit i mean you might have touched on some of it but how can a risk assessment really help prioritize next steps for an organization oh that's a good uh, a good question so i'll start by um i'll start by mentioning that all of us exhibit bias Right. We all have opinions. It doesn't necessarily mean that our opinion is a right or B valid at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is come up with some kind of objective criteria right, for okay. determining what comes next. And it should not be Fred thinks it ought to be this. Right. Barney thinks it ought to be that. Um, Wilma thinks it ought, ought to be this other thing. But instead, what we need to do is we need to have some kind of objective guide. So with, uh, with a good risk assessment, what we want to do is go through and get that, um, I'm going to call it group think, if you will, from a broader audience than just one person. And we really want to answer two questions to get to this objective answer. The questions are, what is the likelihood of this risk that we've identified? What is the likelihood of that materializing? And if it should materialize, how big would that impact be on our organization? If we then take 
let's say we we assign a numeric score where let's say a one is not very much impact at all and a five means lots and lots of impact and we should be careful in our definitions of what constitutes a one and a one to yeah. five right but we rate it based on likelihood on a score let's say of one to five rated on impact on a score of one to five now if we take those two numbers multiply them together we can create what we call a risk score. Likelihood times impact gives us a risk score. Well, what's the purpose in all that? The higher the risk score, then the more risky this uh, this particular um, threat vulnerability yeah. pair will be for your business. So, so once we go through that, we can do a basically a prioritization of risk based on the risk score. And if you think about it, if I, you know, if my goal is to get more secure, I think what I really want to do is go after my biggest risks first and knock them right on out of there. And then I'll go after the next risk, next risk, and that. Right. So that's a great way to put together the strategy for your security program in terms of what you should be doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like you have to tackle the bigger, harder to do's first, even though you may not want to, but in the long run, it, it makes things easier because then your to-do list just gets yeah. shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. And also on that point, Nina, can I, I, I just want to make this other point on there. Um, as we do that rating of risks, it's important to do that with a group of people that has a much broader perspective than just security or just technology. I want to put the HR people in there mm. right? because HR is so critical for information security. When you hire an employee, you better make sure that they get badged, they get their ID correctly, that we actually know that they are who they say they are, right? All those things that go in with the HR process, that kicks it off. If the employee transfers departments, I want to mm -hmm. make sure I adjust their rights as they transfer. If they terminate, uh, let's say, voluntarily, well, I may have a process for that, but there are security things that come out of that in terms of terminating access. Yeah, and ever, if everyone's not talking, then it just fumbles and there's miscommunication and then there's no, no real point. Yeah. yeah, and the viewpoint of prioritization becomes only, let's say, the security officer's view, and he may not have that full organizational perspective. I love to get the salespeople in on those mm -hmm. risk assessments. Why do I do that? <laughs> well, um, have you ever thought about the fact that information security can actually be a competitive advantage to an organization? Definitely. Who am I going to buy from if I have to give up my information in the process? I'm going to buy from someone that I trust to hold on to my information. So I think a lot of salespeople are not at all used to having a security person join their prospecting activities. but yeah. Um, I actually have clients as a VC, so I have clients that ask me to come sit in on their prospecting calls, right? Because they recognize the value of being able to talk to the prospect of how we are running our security program. So anyway, have a broad audience as you do that prioritization and make sure it's a dialogue amongst them, not just a unilateral, we're going to rate this a five because it's really bad for security. Yeah, but what do you have to give up in the business to remediate that risk? 
Definitely. And that kind of rolls into the question I was going to ask you next, next anyway. Why don't people see cybersecurity as a business function as a whole, even though, you know, the way that you explain it, it 100% is. So why is that not clicking at the end of the day? Yeah, well, Your opinion. <laughs> um, so can I quote a book title to you? Uh, here's a book that addresses this. And the title of the book is... Um, Systems Architecting for Organizations, and there's a subtitle on it called Why Eagles Can't Swim. Huh. All right. Systems Architecting for Orgs. It's, uh, I think, Eberhard Rechten is the author. It's a great text. It's not cheap either, so don't go out buying it unless you have a lot of money. Um, anyway, <laughs> this book basically says you're going to get an organization that functions largely like you designed it. And uh, I'm going to go through a few reasons why I think um, organizations are kind of stuck in that mold. And uh, really what, what I believe has happened is organizations started with this implicit assumption that security is technical. And they designed their organization around that viewpoint. And they've never seen anything that would indicate why they should change. Uh, so first point I'm going to make, uh, I believe in many, if not most organizations, I see information security reporting in in the wrong reporting structure. Very often, the InfoSec function will report up through the CIO because clearly security is technical, right? So we design the organization that way and thus security functions in that technical only kind of a role there. I see that as um, it's, it's a mold we need to break. Right? There's a lot of resistance and hesitancy to breaking that mold. And I think uh, one factor behind that is uh, most of us don't like to feel inadequate in a conversation, right? We want to hold our own and, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm in sales and I don't want those technical people around me because I don't understand half of what they say. You know, if that's the case, well, I would say... <laughs> Um, we still need to try to break the mold. There's a couple other points I'm going to make here that will help in terms of how do we break that. It is a true statement that very often we, we have people report to us if we think they add value to our lives, right? And we can actually understand what they're talking about. So if our security people can't speak in terms of business terms, and can't hold their own in a boardroom and can't have that kind of a conversation, then I believe it's it's going to be very natural to see them relegated off into those technical only uh, kinds of roles. Right, so I think there are very few technical individuals, especially those in information security, right, that can have that conversation with the business colleagues. And it's, um, here's my statement on that, it's not just the technical skills that determine the success of the security professional, but it's their ability to communicate in a decidedly non-technical manner. Right? So don't assume that just because somebody is a great network engineer, they're going to great, make a great chief security officer. They have to be able to communicate. And honestly, it's important that they understand the technical nuts and bolts, but if they don't have the 
the polished side to them to have those higher level conversations. They're going to be discredited very quickly and put back into that technical uh, hole, if you will. Um, all right, uh, so yeah, I think that uh, that exacerbates that myth that security is really just technical. Right? We, we have very few business people that have ever seen a security person be anything but technical. Mm. So it's, it's and, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy you're saying. Yeah, um, it only benefits the to open up the door. And like you said, with getting HR involved and getting other departments involved, it including other viewpoints is only going to benefit your business as a function instead of right. people thinking it's going to, you know, make more of a mess or more opinions or more whatever. It's it's actually quite the opposite. Yep. Yeah, there's a couple other points I want to make about, you know, the Go whole ahead. organization design so that the eagles can't swim. This is your um, spot to talk. <laughs> right. The, the next point I want to make is around budgeting. Currently, I see this again and again in my client shops. They have no separate line item for information security. But if they do happen to have one, it's very often a sub item of the IT budget. So when you think about it in that respect, um, budgeting and prioritization of security is going to be determined, I would say, on parity with all of the other technical projects that are going on. That creates some other problems too if the organization goes through a downsizing. Right? The IT director is going to look and say, well, I've got users screaming for these new systems. Clearly, I'm going to keep the budget for that. but." Hey, let's uh, let's cut out some of the infosec things. So budgeting is, um, you know, that's a part of the problem in the way that we budget for security. We need to budget so that it's a separate organization. Mm -hmm. Don't treat it all as technical in that regard. The last thing I want to say on that is, um, I very often see the board of directors tuning out when it comes to infosec. Of course they tune out, right? What's their, uh, you know, think about their mission, vision, objectives, etc. And then if InfoSec can't actually show that it's in alignment and supportive with that mission, vision, goals of the organization and objectives, then the board A doesn't understand the function of security. And B, one of the problems they're going to have is that it's very often the people on the board of directors who end up being sued if there's a cybersecurity incident. Oh yeah. Right? So not only is it uh, is it problematic that they can't express the value of security, but it's a major problem because they need to be intimately involved in cybersecurity. If it's a problem of, you know, cybersecurity is all technical in my organization, change the organization, right? Rearchitect it so that you're not asking eagles to swim. What are some of the other mistakes or no-nos you're seeing that organizations, you know, are doing? Because you mentioned not having a budget line for IT. What are a couple other things that you see going on? Yeah, I think I largely addressed this in my last answer, but I, I'll summarize and, and give you really, it's, it's three things I think are the major problematic elements. Number one, reporting structure is incorrect. 
you need to actually change the way it reports and give security the chance to become something more than technical. Secondly, I think choice of your cybersecurity spokesman. That is, it's a major problem if you pick the most technical, the most security focused day-to-day -day individual. If they can't speak, if they can't communicate, if they can't write, that's not gonna help you. And then thirdly, you just mentioned uh, budgeting and the way that budgeting is done. So to me, it's kind of those three root causes to it. Great, thanks, Dan. So just wrapping up, what are some final tips that you can give to our listeners to help them justify investing in cybersecurity, investing in a program? How can they justify this big investment? Great question. Well, first piece of advice I would give is follow the money. <laughs> Right. You start with that mission, vision, and business objectives of the organization. And then we begin to align the cybersecurity objectives in support of the mission, vision, and business objectives of the org. Once we do that, we begin to write metrics that will help uh, give a, a quantitative measure, not just qualitative, like, oh, yeah, security is doing great, but how great is it doing? how well am I doing at supporting the business objective of, um, of obtaining and retaining customer trust, for example, right? Can I come up with business metrics about cybersecurity that explain how I'm helping to support that? And so that's a part of what I mean by follow the money. And uh, I would say that I would say largely cybersecurity needs a marketing program, right? It's one of those uh, sad, lonely little topics off in the corner that doesn't know how to dance, but you know, they, they need to come forward with a strong marketing program. And I think if you begin to take some of the mentality of what we do in marketing, right? We have a viewpoint and we begin to espouse that viewpoint and we come up with ways to explain that. We use a lot of analogy, we tell stories, right? We have objectives that and measurements around those that will help to show that it's real and it's helping to achieve those corporate objectives. Um, all right, so that's around, I, I call that follow the money, right? Second thing I would say is uh, understand whether or not there's an angle for information security to assist in the sales process. <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're an organization that depends on gathering and retaining customer trust or gathering customer confidence in the product they're about to buy from you, I think there's probably a play for the right individual in the right security program to be able to assist in that sales process. I know that sounds probably crazy to most people. I would never put my security guy out in a sale. Well, you may have the wrong security guy if that's the case, right? Um, if I can't sell my way into anything as a security person, I'm probably not the right security person. So I think uh, it's gotta be more than just the, you know, the person that can drop in and give their little techie speech, right? They need to be able to explain the benefits to the customer and be very assistive in gathering and retaining that customer trust. Yeah, so the last thing I'm gonna say around this is 
find new angles to express the value of cybersecurity in the organization. So often, I find that executives have this mentality that cybersecurity is all about avoiding the bad, right? And my, my answer there would be don't merely sell a burning platform, right? That is not going to gain that broader viewpoint on, on information security. And the, the message of security can't just be, if you don't do this, bad things will happen, right? But instead, That's it's- scare tactic. Yeah, and burning platform, I mean, who wants to buy one of those, right? <laughs> not me, I wanna avoid that. Anyway, so find those new angles. Think of creative ways for information security to support the values of the org and actually bring new value to the organization. Sometimes I find uh, companies that have an information security program that is actually externally marketed. There's a lot of value in that if you're doing a good job. If you're doing a bad job, you better run like heck from that. So. You know, get your security uh, ducks in a row and then market it. But uh, don't leave that out of your plans as you think about how to do security. Yeah, I think you can really be beneficial if you know how to market it and market it as a benefit. Like we were saying, it's a in a sales call, it's an added benefit. And if you're right. not utilizing that tool, then that's on you. Yep. And in this day and age of uh, you know, a lot of uh, cybersecurity incidents, security has become table stakes for anyone wanting to buy from another company. Yeah. So. Acquisitions and whatnot. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are some, some great yeah. tips, actionable tips and value that our listeners can take away with them. So thank you, Stan. I, I appreciate it, and I'm sure they do as well. All right, Nina. Well, thanks for having me on your show again. And uh, sorry about picking on you for that sleeping at the table. I'm mm, not going to do it's that. It's all good. But, it's yeah. my method. Me method to my madness. <laughs> all right, Stan, we'll talk again soon. All right. Have a good one. That's our story and we're sticking to it. See you guys next time on Knights of the Cyber Table.